City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. And I'm Doug Leeds, President. We have a very exciting seminar today, delving in-depth into how theatre gets made. Both the Annenberg Foundation and Dorothy Strelson Foundation have played a major part in expanding these programs, and we want to thank them. People often come up to me and say, we know the American Theatre Wing founded the Tonys, to recognize excellence in the theater. But what else do you do? Well, a lot. An awful lot. These seminars are just one of the many educational programs we sponsor. We also produce Downstage Center, a weekly theater interview show on XM Satellite Radio, Springboard NYC, a summer session for college students interested in theater as a career. We host the theater intern group, and give annual scholarships to students and grants to New York not-for-profit theater, both off and off-off Broadway. So yes, we do a lot more than just recognize excellence on Broadway with the Tony Awards, which the Wing founded almost 60 years ago. We serve the entire theater community by educating, nurturing, rewarding, and encouraging participation in the art of live theater. Be sure to go to our website www.americantheaterwing.org. You'll find a great deal of information on theater, all of our educational programs, and of course, these seminars. Thanks for joining us. Now let's begin today's seminar, Interpreting Tennessee Williams, led by our moderator, Jeffrey Eric Jenkins. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Interpreting Tennessee Williams. It was the night after Christmas, 1944. Outdoors, the weather was brutally cold and stormy, even by Chicago standards. But in the old civic theater, a working class poet stepped from the shadows and said, I have tricks in my pocket, I have things up my sleeve, but I am the opposite of a stage magician. He gives you illusion in the disguise of truth, it has the appearance of truth, yeah. <laughs> I give you truth in the pleasant disguise of illusion. With those words, Tennessee Williams emerged from the shadows of the American theater and into the bright spotlight. Today we have with us five brilliant talents of the stage and screen who will share with us their experiences and their uh, lives in the theater. Uh, let me introduce them to you, and we'll start first from my far right with Chris Bauer. Chris Bauer is currently playing Mitch in The Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway. He's a regular at uh, Atlantic Theatre Company for The Night Heron and Mojo, and many know him from his television work from the, the, on The Wire and Third Watch and many other things. Next is John C. Riley. John is now playing Stanley in A Streetcar Named Desire. He has in the past played Mitch for the Steppenwolf Theater Company. This is his third time on Broadway, recently 
in uh, True West with Philip Seymour Hoffman, and also uh, he played in The Grapes of Wrath some years ago with the Steppenwolf Theatre Company production. Uh, next to John Riley is Jessica Lange, who has made a career over 20 years of playing the women of Tennessee Williams, starting with Maggie the Cat, in 1985, and then later in the 1990s, playing um, Blanche Dubois in A Streetcar Named Desire, and now she's Amanda in The Glass Menagerie. To my immediate left is Natasha Richardson, who is currently playing Blanche Dubois in A Streetcar Named Desire. She was also in the Richard Eyre BBC production of uh, Summer and, I'm sorry, Suddenly Last Summer, in which she played Catherine Hawley, and uh, comes from a family of theatrical royalty as well, by the way. Uh, and next to <laughs> Natasha is Christian Slater. Christian is now playing Tom, the narrator, and the hero of, or maybe not the hero, of The Glass Menagerie, and uh, he will soon be appearing as Chance Wayne in... Um, uh, Sweet Bird of Sweet Youth. Bird of Youth. Hmm. Sweet Bird of Youth. And Christian has a long Broadway history going back some 25 years. Uh, recently in uh, Sideman, playing the lead in Sideman for more than 500 performances. Well, that ran more than 500 performances. Hmm. And also um, starting out with The Music Man right. many years ago as Winthrop, right? Gary, Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 I want to, what I want to start with, uh, I want to start with Chris Bauer, uh, but what I want to do is engage a, a conversation here today with all of the actors who have blessed us uh, with their presence today. But one of the things I want to get started with as we think about Tennessee Williams, who is, is someone who's always concerned with truth and illusion with beauty, with ugliness, with cruelty, and what, what, how those elements work together in, in American life and in human life. Is, I want, I'd like for Chris Bauer to start to talk to us and, and others join in on how you first encountered Tennessee Williams as you were growing up. What, what's your first encounters with Tennessee Williams? How, does that, how did he inspire your imagination? Oh, well, that happened well after, you know, I inherited, I think, the iconography of Tennessee Williams via streetcar um, between the its reputation for uh, Marlon Brando's performance and mm. the classic lines here and there and, and, and the mythology of that adjusting and changing our experience of modern theater, modern, modern acting after that. Years and years and years of reading the play <clears throat> and reading all the other plays quite frankly, um, prejudiced with sort of that inherited, iconographic, massive, exploded, you know, reputation. Um, which was curious because when it came time to working on the play, it took forever for me personally to continue to drift through the reputation mm. of these plays, the reputation of him as a writer, the reputation of these characters. And, and distill it down further and further and further into finally knowing them as human beings, hmm. you know? Um, I, that, that, that was something that, that really surprised me because when it comes down to, you know, constructing a character, it's a series of actions, it's just all about what are they doing and, you know, who are they comes after that. But when you have this sort of... Uh, 
inherited impression of who they are mm -hmm. before you begin to explore these actions. It creates a, a distance and a gap. And, it, and, and he's such a fine writer and so, you know, so immaculately deliberate that if there's any gap there, it doesn't work. You can feel it not singing the song that it wants to mm. sing, which I think is a tribute to how inspired and how specific his ambition, his inspiration is, I think. Christian, how, how, did that, how does that work <laughs> for you? It's beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly got some sleep. <laughs> 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 Lord, man. <laughs> that Yale School of Drama. I have to follow that yeah. now. Oh, good yeah. God. Um, so, uh, yes, you, you were asking? Well, about your early encounters with, with Tennessee Williams and how that shaped your theatrical imagination and how it inspires your own work. Uh, Those early encounters, I mean. The, uh, well, I'm just trying to think. I mean, my earliest encounter was probably seeing Jessica in uh, Streetcar. That was, I think that was probably my first experience with a, a Tennessee Williams play. And, yeah, just being drawn into it. And, and uh, like you were saying, I mean, the, the, the uh, learning it, uh, it's, it's, uh, he is, he is an amazing writer. I mean, incredibly specific, and there is, there is a particular rhythm. I find, like, certain nights, finding that rhythm is, is really exciting, you know, when you're right there. Because, you know, some, sometimes you go through it and you just feel like, oh, uh, this line, was this really necessary? Was this beat really necessary? Was this moment really necessary? And when, when you start the play on the right note, you know, it just, uh, it, it has a natural flow to it and, and, a, and a rhythm that just works. And you could so feel when you're just the slightest bit out of that groove. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, yeah, to be right in the, in the, in between that moment is great. You know, when you really do nail it, it's, it's very exciting. But, of course, there are, there are moments when you feel like, Ooh, well, we could, you know, we could keep working on this or, yeah. you know, making little adjustments here and there. But, uh, yeah, it's really, it's phenomenal. John, how, how about you? How, how, have you encountered, uh, how did you encounter Tennessee Williams in the early going in your, in your life, in your career? It was completely by accident, actually. I, I grew up in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago, and um, I've been doing plays since I was about eight years old, but they were all musicals, because that's all anyone ever wanted to see in my neighborhood. There was no one was doing, like, Ibsen at the park near my house. You, know? you have some early musical theater experience. Yeah, so it was Brigadoon, Pajama Game, you know, all of them. I did, I've done so many musicals as a kid. And, um, and then I, as I was finishing high school, I realized, you know, I want to try to, you know, take this, be, you know, try to be a serious actor. Or, you know, and so I applied to this place, the Goodman School of Drama in Chicago. And um, they said, you have to prepare a, mo a monologue, and you'll have to do some other things at the audition. So I went to the library and started looking through, uh, and I really was kind of an ignoramus about uh, dramatic theater. You know, I knew a lot about musicals <laughs> at that point, but... So how old are we talking here about? This is like towards the end of high school, you know? And I really didn't, didn't have really any mentors that were telling me, like, these are the important ones. Get to know these playwrights, right. you know? And so I would just go through the, I remember picking out this anthology of theater and flagging through it and just looking for big chunks of dialogue. <laughs> literally. That's literally what I was doing. It was like, no, 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 no someone else is talking there. Someone else is talking. Here's, here's one that's just by himself. 
Oh, and it's a young guy, Tom. <laughs> and it was the speech, you know, El Day, I, you know, the whole speech to Amanda about where he goes at night and oh. had this rage towards his mother, which I was feeling a little bit of that, getting ready to leave the house when <laughs> I was 17. And I thought, Ooh. oh, this is, this is a good one. This, this makes sense to me. And so I memorized that and I went in and, it, you know, that writing just kind of takes you over, like the, the rhythm and the poetry of what he, you know. And um, it's like you were saying, Chris, it's... Uh, he has such a natural poetry to what he writes, but if you get caught up in the poetry, uh, that sort of leads you down the wrong path. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's very realistic, very impassioned, very human, uh, very real writing. And so that was my first experience with it. And then I realized what I'd stumbled across. You know, once I got into this school, I, I was thankfully accepted. And um, I realized, you know, I stumbled across the greatest American playwright of the 20th century Ooh, yeah. by looking for a big chunks of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then, you know, I, I went on to do Mitch and Streetcar and Steppenwolf, and that was a, that was a, for, like you say, you know, uh, for all the cultural baggage that comes with these plays, in a way, the Tennessee Williams fame and the, and the fame of the plays has been a bit of a disservice to the material itself. Mm. You know, because it's, it's so... Uh, it's so rooted in the human experience. It's oh, not, completely, yeah. this is not camp stuff. No. It's, it's very basic human beat by beat, the way people really talk to each other. The Ooh. genius of him is that he was able to capture it and structure it in such a way that it's also a beautiful piece of art. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just throw it up there the way people talk and maybe someone will get something out of it. It's Ooh. so carefully constructed. and. That's something I came to appreciate. I remember when I was doing Streetcar in Chicago, um, it felt, on the good nights, it felt like an opera. Mm. It felt like this play has a power that's bigger than any one of these characters or any one of these actors. Completely. If yeah. we all start working in concert, this, this storm starts to gather and it just takes over and sings like music. You yes. Know? But only through, like, only if you root yourself in, in real... Uh, human detail, you know. So anyway, long story short, that's how, that's how I came across Tennessee Williams. Well, that's a great story. Ooh. Natasha, tell us a little bit about your early encounters with Tennessee. It's, it's funny because until you asked this question, I never really thought of it before and I think it actually comes in different parts that I guess I first really started to fall in love with his writing through, you know, the early films of Streetcar and Count Nort and Roof and, and I was just completely drawn to these women and their passion and their sexuality and their pain and just kind of fell in love with, with um, his writing initially through that. However, I have to say that I met him, Tennessee, um, I wish I could come up with a good anecdote, I can't. I met him when I was a little girl through someone who I know Jessica mm -hmm. also knew, who was this very strange um, lady called Maria St. Just, who was one of Tennessee's best friends and she became the executor of, of, of his estate and she was this um, very bitchy ex-white Russian ballerina who was married <laughs> to an English lord and they lived in this sort of decaying stately home and uh, in England and she sort of adopted me. I was like this sort of poor relation. I'm not quite sure how that happened but my mum must have been busy working or something and 
I'd be taken to this house at weekends and sort of humiliated by this woman because if my cuff was frayed or because I was overweight or, you know, she'd say, I'd give you $5 if you can do two pirouettes before dinner. I mean, it was like... Uh, but, but there at this house frequently at the weekends and was Tennessee Williams sitting there having cocktails and smoking and... Uh, you know, I think we were brought in and quickly brought out again, so I can't... I wish I could remember anything he said, but... So that must have been the very beginning, but... And then later on, really, through drama school, at really digging into his work, and... And, um, and, and I haven't seen that much of his work on stage. Of course, I saw, you know, Jessica um, playing Blanche, and that was an astonishing, breathtaking thing to see, and... Um, I don't know, just all, I sort of have jumbles of moments, but just really just a feeling of incredible connection and understanding of what, what he says about the human spirit, really. What, what, do you, what do you think that connection is? What do you, how do you feel connected to that? I don't know, it's just uh, uh, empathy, I think. I just feel, I just feel nothing but, but empathy, and yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if I can put it in better words than that. Well, Jessica, I think anyone who has a touch of the poet in them identifies mm. with Tennessee Williams because he was such a pure poet. You know, he's such an archetype of what that was, that kind of gentle person in the world. You know, I think anyone who's at, even touched by it a little bit can identify with it. Yeah, I mean, particularly in, in The Glass Menagerie, I mean, it's, it's, it, he's, it is an autobiographical play and... and uh, it's completely relatable. I mean, he's, he's human, frustrated, trapped in this situation of obligation and, and, and uh, commitment and, and wants to get out of it without removing one nail, you know, without hurting anybody, without, you know, having to hurt his sister or hurt his mother. And <clears throat> eventually, you know, inevitably, it just it comes to an explosive point and, uh, you know, he's got to go out and have some his, his change and adventure. Well, well Jessica, you've constructed a great deal of your stage career doing Tennessee Williams, first with Maggie and then with Blanche and now with Amanda. Uh, how did you, you get on that path? How did that, how, you know, what were your early encounters with the, the work of Tennessee Williams? Or how did, I how had an early encounter, not dissimilar to John's. I was in some, I mean, remote little town in northern Minnesota, in, uh, junior high school, and we had to, as a as an assignment, do a, um, a monologue for speech class. And um, I had never thought about the theater. I had no exposure to culture of any kind <laughs> up there in the woods. So it was completely, I, 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 like John, I didn't even know where to look, you know? And I think that you, they, they kind of handed out, you know, mimeograph copies of different monologues to all the students and said, pick one. And um, The very first one I read, I thought, okay, well, wow, this is something. I'll do this one. Mm -hmm. And it was the Jonquil speech from Glass uh, mm -hmm. Menagerie. So I've come kind of full circle 40 years later. Now I'm <laughs> actually doing the character. But I think that was my, actually, the first, the first time I ever came upon Tennessee. And there is something about his poetry and, and what you, Natasha was just talking about, that thing where, 
I think what touches you on the most human level is this this universal sense of human loneliness that he writes about. I mean, that, I mean, he says he was pursued by his entire life, and it's in all his writing, and, you know, I mean, it's just, it's that thing of, of I mean, no matter how, what, you know, how large a family, how loving a family, there's that loneliness that just, like, that he captured, I think, so brilliantly, and then that is that what I think touches everybody in the audience when they watch Tennessee. And the sense of loss, you know. I remember hearing a story where he went one time to a, I guess it was to a therapist, <coughs> psychoanalyst or something, and the, the man started off by saying to him, now, Mr. Williams, to what do you attribute the anger in your plays? And Tennessee said, I don't think you mean anger. I <laughs> <laughs> said that was so beautiful. <coughs> didn't he say? Didn't he say some wonderful thing? I'm going to get the quote wrong. What was it he said that was <coughs> like um, happiness is insensitivity, or yeah, so, uh, yeah. you know that it's not quite that. That's um, yeah. reductive, but that the notion of uh, you know searching for this state of us all being in. Perpetual yeah. happiness means you absolutely could not be sensitive to the human condition. But we're all sounding very serious, and the other important thing to say about him is how funny he is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to That's say, funny. when we were rehearsing the play and, and, you know, just doing it in the rehearsal hall and tech and everything, and the first time, because I have never seen The Glass Menagerie on stage, and I probably saw uh, an early film of it, you know, so many years ago, I don't have any recollection of it. And the first time we took it up in front of the audience, we were all stunned at the laughter. I mean, it was like, because you're working in a vacuum for so long, and you have no idea, you know, you're, you're, you're doing Tennessee Williams, it's really fucking sad, you know? I mean, <laughs> and then suddenly you're in front of an audience and everybody's laughing. Yeah. There's so much humor in it. Oh, God, yeah. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, thing, I think, to, to, that we should uh, explore here a little bit, is this notion of, of expectations. You know, because uh, Chris mentioned this earlier, we were talking about, you know, uh, Brando putting his imprimatur on uh, Stanley and sort of screwing it up for everybody else later, you know, in a certain way. Not necessarily. Just hold on a moment there. <laughs> everyone else this thought of him that screwed it up. Right. He himself. This is, what I, this is what I think we should, we should engage in. And, 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 you know, of course, actors are being sympathetic for another actor here. But, but you know, how, 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 does that, how has that affected your own work? And, and how do you get around those kinds of, uh, you know, particularly filmed expectations. Christian, I mean, well, yeah, for me, uh, with this particular situation, because, I mean, I, I found out about it, you know, so rapidly, you know, <laughs> right. uh, that, that I, I didn't uh, have a lot of time to think about anything else other than, uh, other than every line of the play, you know, so. Um, By that, what you mean, and to, just to clarify, is that you stepped in at the last minute as a, as a replacement for someone else ex yeah. who left the production. Exactly, exactly. So I had about, uh, uh, I guess, what, 10 days to kind of get it all together and, and, and throw myself oh, And out. no rehearsal. Yeah. I mean, jump oh. right into tech. You're yeah. a very brave Be man. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, yeah, so, so that was really, um, so yeah, I just kind of jumped, you know, dove right into it. And, and, and I mean, when I first read the play, I, I thought, uh, well, I thought it was hilarious. I, I mean, I was reading and I thought, well, this, this is pretty funny. And, and funny all the way through until the end, you know, when it just, I mean, it ripped my heart out. You know, I mean, it just really, really got me. And, and uh, I, I remember reading it. I, I, was, I was taping it, you know, I, I still have the recording of myself bawling my eyes out as I'm, you know, as I'm reading this, this incredible play. So, so it was something that I definitely couldn't, uh, couldn't pass up. And, and yeah, getting to do it on stage, uh, uh, you know, with Jessica is, is phenomenal. And, and, and the humor is a, a wonderful, beautiful element to it. I mean, there is so much humor in the sadness and, and, and in life, in reality. I mean, life is pretty freaking funny, you know? <laughs> and, and, and even in its, its great tragedy, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very humorous, and, and I think he, he does capture that uh, rather beautifully. And I think you were saying something about, you know, that the plays have been around so long <clears throat> that people have a certain idea of what they are, and in a way that is a little bit of a disservice to it, because, yeah. you know, sometimes you get audiences that come in and they think, okay, we're going to see the glass menagerie, you know, and it's going to be heavy. It's going to be, you know, this, and you're, they're sitting there, and then they start to go, oh, wait, oh, I can actually relate to this. And, you know, I mean, it is a classic. It is a, a beautiful piece of work and literature, but it's just so chock full of humanity and, and relatable elements that, that uh, I mean, certainly for me, I mean, this mother-son relationship, it, 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 it just, it, it kills me. You know, it, makes me it makes me laugh all the time. Yeah, it's, the, it's like the humor of recognition yeah. that you hear mm -hmm. from an audience. Yeah. I mean, it definitely yeah. has wit and irony and sarcasm, you know, all those things, those kind of uh, literary things. But there's also just when people, the shock of the familiarity of it hits them, they laugh, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, well, and there. I think he was yeah. very clever, Tennessee Williams. He, I mean, all great playwrights, I think, know this, that if you can make them laugh, you can make them cry. Oh. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to make them cry if you can make them laugh. And I mean, a streetcar is full of contrast. Yeah. Mm. Just as soon as you think one scene, when a scene ends, you think, oh, God, I know it's going to happen, something terrible. Someone comes in a, in a good mood. <laughs> or, like, and and he, he's very, it's very cruel, almost sadistic in that way. He subverts your expectations, you know, over and over again. And, uh, you know, the net effect in Streetcar, I think, is one of total confusion mm -hmm. uh, as a spectator, you know. Uh, he starts scenes the way you would expect them to end, too. He flips right. that around mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Sort oh, of yeah. begins a scene oh. with what Incredible, the sort of, you know, predictable, cliched ending would be. What, what do you mean by that, opposite. Chris? Can you give me an, an example of that? Oh, man. I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> Put you on the spot. He didn't well, get that much sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say that what I don't know about you guys, but what what is slightly you know challenging about this to me is that the experience of being in the play is so encompassing and so sort of profound that it becomes the experience you're having, and I find it really hard actually to talk about it or even relate yet to it as something. I mean, you know, outside. You guys have had more experience with it than I have, but I feel like you know you. you once you're enveloped in it, it's something that, that happens to you. So and you, I feel feel like, it, you feel as though you're living in it as you're... You're living in it, and it's not like a behavior immersion sure. thing. It's, sure. it's, that, it's that, I guess it's, you know, it's the elemental experience of a masterpiece where it's so much bigger than you that when you submit and surrender to it and make your connections to the people, you know, that you're in the scene with, 
it is a, uh, it's sort of a, you know, it's this pleasure of selflessness, which is, uh, you know, like almost impossible to achieve in performance. But the play is just so immaculately rendered, and the, mm. and you you recognize so quickly that any temptation to deny that submission wrecks it. You know, there's it's the absence I, of poetry. I think it. I mean, I think with Tennessee. I mean, I've had this sense when I've done. I, I did two productions of Streetcar, one in New York and one in London, and now this one, <coughs> of Glass. It's you get a sense. I mean, I always had this kind of visual sense, this image, like you know, whatever is happening backstage. You know, you're getting ready. You're doing this. You're doing that. And the moment you step on stage, it's like you're being like enveloped by this freight train that just comes up behind you yep. and yes. like just picks you up. Mm -hmm. And until the play is over, you are on this track, you are on this ride. And, and all you have to do is like open your heart and give yourself up to it. And it's, it's constructed in such a way, I mean, if you want to look at it from, you know, like a, a technical point of view, or the poetry, or the universality of the human emotion, or whatever it is, it like just encompasses you and takes you there. And as long as you don't resist it, it delivers yeah. you yeah. where you have to go. I mean, it is. Uh, uh, feel where you're, you're picking up the play every yeah. night on your back yeah. and yeah. carrying yeah. the play across the field. You know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I think I think that's the only danger with it is 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 when you try and put the brakes on. As yeah. soon as you go, oh, I'm not sure. Hang on, hang on. I'm going to tell this right into myself. I'm going to ground this. I've got to find this. Suddenly, it's like you just have to trust it and hold on to the reins desperately. And it's it's like I find so, I think his language. I haven't done that much Shakespeare, um, but his if you if you do try and make Shakespearean verse, if you try and make it like real talk, you know, how we all go around talking, it absolutely doesn't work. And it doesn't work when you start speaking the verse and the poetry, then it's, you know, it just dies on you too. And this is, is um, you can't ignore the, the florid beauty and choice of his words. Yeah. You can't try and do make it TV with it, but you can't go the other way either. And I, I think that for me, it's, I don't know what you all think, but finally what it boils down to for Tennessee or for any writing that you do in the theatre, at the end of the day, it's just listen and respond and listen and respond. And then it's exciting for the audience because they're seeing something that might not be perfect, but is actually happening as opposed to a rendered version of of some perfect take on it and and I think that's that's what he he gives you and and that's what he demands of you to to do that I had an Stay experience in that moment sorry I had an experience too that you know speaking just for myself that was really differed from other um, work that that I've done on a in terms of process where as we began to rehearse I I always feel this temptation at the beginning to be sort of over-prepared, you know, to enhance my sense of security and belonging and whatnot. <laughs> but, you know, the, um, you know, and, and some of the obvious sort of versions that would take would be like biographies of character and, you know, uh, just sort of playing around with all that gestural, physical exploration, whatever, whatever it is, right? But in this case, I, I, I I just 
was sort of struck dumb by it. I couldn't come up with anything. I, it was as though there was no place in my creative appetite to attach to that. And instead, it all just kept going back into what was it like to be in the scene? What was it like mm -hmm. to, mm. to experience the, the connection? And that, and the consequence of that, slowly and organically created the experience, and the experience created the character. That goes back to that thing of the famous performances that went before you in this right, thing. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Like, <clears throat> the play has these demands, and the demands are very personal of you. They're not, so I couldn't be Marlon Brando if I tried to. Right. And Marlon Brando wasn't, he, he was just doing what I'm doing, I assume. I never met the man, but, you know, I'm in awe of him, like most actors are. But it just requires this personal commitment to the material mm -hmm. and a real, you know, surrendering of yourself to what it is you have to do. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, it would be a disservice of the play to try to turn it into or deliberately make it something different so that it wouldn't be like this actor who went before me. I mean, yeah. that... You're so far off the game if you're doing that, yeah. you're dead, you know what I mean? And also I think we can all, uh, you know, we are who we are as individuals, we're bringing ourselves to it, but I think you can learn from prior performances, pinch, whatever, and, and, and you take from the past and then move on to now. I mean, <coughs> I remember my, my mum did a very, very famous Rosalind, and she listened to the recordings of Edith Evans playing the part because she knew that she'd figured out the, the, the speech patterns the way through. And, and in my consciousness, I know uh, playing this part, there are, I, I, I saw Vivian Lee in the movie several times. I saw Jessica. All of these things have somehow trickled into me. Um, I'm not doing the same thing, but they're, they're, they're part of the fabric, and, and you can't ignore that. You, you want to embrace it yeah. and be thankful for what you've been given in the past. Yeah. And I also think, you know, with Williams, <clears throat> because his canvas is so huge and what he has the, the portraits that he has created, unlike a lesser playwright, they allow a multitude of interpretations mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. can still make the play absolutely vital and, I mean, exciting and alive. Um, and it can encompass, a, a, I mean, a huge variety of interpretations and it will still work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, particularly mm -hmm. with uh, The Glass Menagerie, because uh, my opening speech, you know, I'm saying, the, you know, the play is memory. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's dimly lighted, it's sentimental, it's not realistic, you know, and so, so it's, 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 for me, as I'm doing the play, everything is kind of materializing around me, is, is how I interpret it, you know, and it's, it's uh, like the sense of touch and the sense of smell and all that stuff. The play is memory. So it's all coming back to me, you know. It's all coming back to me and I'm getting to relive it. And it, it feels like such uh, an honoring of Tennessee Williams. I mean, that's really why to do the play because the play is so beautiful and, and it's, 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 it's a lovely play. And, and to get to do it, it, it you know, having you know, watching Amanda come to life again, you know, and watching Laura come to life again, and, and, and just seeing them, who these people were, it, it, it's such an honoring of, of somebody's life. It, it's, it's, 
It's really a remarkable experience. You know what's astonishing about, what, in, in line with what you just said, was um, there, there is, once I started to approach the material, I, rea I realized, wow, there's so much room in here for me. <laughs> so much room for me to find my own way mm -hmm. through this character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he's dead on specific. Like, mm -hmm. you, 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 I mean, at first I thought, well, I'll just throw it all away and I'll walk in. But then you read like, <laughs> oh, but I have to be near the door here. Mm. Or I have to have a cigarette in my hand at this. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's so specific, specific. about the behavior and what happens in the scenes. And yet, you still feel like, I, I can bring everything of myself to this guy. Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah, it's a real trick. I, I wish I was a more intellectual person. I could dis, discern what it, what it takes to do that. But uh, I think if you intellectualize it, I think if you intellectualize it too much, you might it might evaporate on you. you know, if you start to Definitely. if you start to analyze it a little too much, but it is so specific. I mean, my God, and, and I mean, learning the speeches and uh, they just. Yeah, they really are. I mean, they were they were so hard to learn. I mean, it was just complicated because the, the the repeating and the 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 repetition, the repetition stuff. stuff and uh, but then once you do learn it, you, you you see the reason for it and you appreciate it. When you're learning it, you're going, "Why?" You know, presenting <laughs> the guy like crazy. You know, but um, and, and, but once once you do get it down, it's like, oh my god, the the beauty of it is so worth it. And it's know? all deliberate. It's all deliberate, exactly. things for a reason. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And I, th I think it's quite funny to, you know, hearing you talk about, you know, and the, the beauty of it and the poetry of it. And that I think sometimes the, the extraordinary thing about him is that the, the, the poetry and the beauty is so muscular. Yeah, it's three-dimensional. It's not airy-fairy no. mm -mm. at all. And that is yeah. just flesh and blood and pain and sex and all of those things and that's what um, mm -hmm. is, is um, amazing for, for such a poet. Mm -hmm. See I think one of the problems with Absolutely. Tennessee because he is so revered and, and so, uh, so represented, I mean there have been so many productions mm -hmm. about that people even though they may not have read the plays um, in the last 30, 40 years, <laughs> think they know it. Yeah, <clears throat> so they come in thinking that they're going to see their idea, mm -hmm. their version mm -hmm. of the glass menagerie yep. or streetcar. And it, it, um, it unsettles them. Um, but the interesting thing is that and I'm sure in your production it's the exact same thing. You're going to do something that's never been seen before. The same way we're doing something that's never been seen before. But it's all on the page. Mm. So it really, it, it's not like you've just stepped out there arbitrarily and invented something mm -hmm. that doesn't exist. Right. Mm -hmm. You might be doing something that's never been seen before, but he's written it. Mm -hmm. Sure. He's absolutely well, I, I think written it. I think that's a, a concern. I think it's something that John Riley was talking about a moment ago when he, when he was saying that, you know, when, when I was talking about Brando and, and Streetcar and that sort of thing, it's that there's this American cultural possessiveness. Of, there's this sort of this is the way it has to be and I have it in my head that way and so it has to be that way every time mm -hmm. and yet when you're doing and, and I think that comes from film representations of, of the plays because you know Laurette Taylor's uh, performance in 1944 and 45 
of Amanda, you know, echoes only in the halls of memory. Mm -hmm. But these other productions, you know, they, the, the, the productions that are live, it has to change every night. It changes every night. The audience changes every night. Mm -hmm. And it's tough because with that is one of the hard things for all of us with taking on these classics like this is, as Jessica said, you know, whatever you do, you can be like white hot and <laughs> giving it your very, very best, but somebody's going to come there with their own particular mm -hmm. baggage and go, well, I think you're going to mean like this. <laughs> um, uh, but just to address, to, or can we put to bed the Brando thing? Because I just don't think it's, it's, it's <laughs> as important uh, in, in our discussion as sure, all the sure, other sure, things sure. that we, we should talk about. Um, and I don't quite know how to put, put this because I don't want to do a disservice to Marlon Brando is the, you know, one of the greatest inspirations for us all. I think at that moment in time, there was <coughs> some extraordinary thing happened. Mm -hmm. This actor who yes. reinvented the face of modern screen acting arrived. <laughs> I think it could have been in this as Stanley, I think it might just as easily have been in another part than in another play. Yeah. And I don't think that, even though it was a mind-bogglingly great performance, he is not the imprimatur for the Stanley that Tennessee wrote at all, I don't think. He is one, uh, a, exactly. a version of it. Sure. Um, so... Uh, that's it. But also, I Also, I think you have to, you I know, there was an imbalance. I yeah, you know, it took the, it took the, <laughs> the, I think it took, that's what I meant uh, to finish off. Yeah. It kind of took the yes. focus away from the play that's and what I, these characters. Yeah, that's what I was And William said that. Yeah. I, 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 I go to the theater every night thinking that he's smiling down on me. Because if you look at his yeah, life Tennessee, and the things right? that he talked about, he was a real actor's actor. Yes, sure. yeah. And I'm sure he's up to saying, kid, give it your best right? shot. That's yeah. all I, I mean, did. That, you know, so. Absolutely. I feel like if, if, he, if he was to see our show, I, he'd be really happy. He'd be like, <laughs> oh, I, I do. I just I feel good about that. It's, right. it's a really nice... But I also nice think feeling. times change, you know, and that, that's the great thing about Williams is because his plays are really timeless. They are timeless, yeah. Um, so that, you know, a production that was done in 1945, the, the whole emotion and um, mindset and kind of, uh, you know, this universal subconscious. Even the political Yeah, everything is completely yeah. different. So the performances they were crafting then had to do with everything that was, you know, 1945. Well, now it's 2060 years later. Yeah. And the great thing is, it, it's interesting because Anna Devere Smith came to see the play and she gave me the best compliment that I've had mm. doing Amanda. And she said that she saw Amanda, she thought this could just as easily be a mother, a black mother, in the projects mm. in 2005. Mm. So it really does, you know, the way he's written it, and I'm sure all of these actors find it, that, you know, you bring your experience mm -hmm. of this time to the play. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it vital. Not that you're trying to recreate what, you know, the performance were back in 1949 or 1945, yeah. because the, the whole, your whole life environment, subconscious, consciousness, everything is different than it was then. Yeah. yeah, and it has to change every day, even though, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't the performance continue to evolve? 
Oh, God, let's hope so. Yeah. <laughs> we got a long run, man. <laughs> you want it to or not. Yeah. yeah. Because the, yeah. It's the, one of the re recurring shocking things of theater to me, and I always forget it somehow, almost every night I forget it, is that the crowd brings their own energy. Mm -hmm. And you walk out thinking like, oh, they're going to... Oh, well, this is a whole new group of people. <laughs> <laughs> this group's nuts, yeah. man. Oh, God, yeah. Surprised eight times a week by, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes pleasantly surprised. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, those are we, you know, we talked a little bit about the, the, about the poetry of Williams, and, you know, it's... We it's talked a lot about the poetry. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what I'm interested in here is, is how that how you he's really the poet laureate of of the american theater you know whereas o'neill is sort of the, the the guy who creates americanness in theater and arthur miller is sort of the conscience of america in a certain way but i'm sure they Williams would all disagree this. with yes. you yeah i'm sure they would well that's okay it's okay disagreement is good but what i what i want to get at here is how um how you work specifically uh, in, in some ways with the poetry and the text. I know you're trying to play the moment-by-moment -moment elements and let the poetry do its thing, let it sing in its own way. But how does that, is, does it just come out of the moment-by-moment -moment work? Well, Stanley's not all that poetic. <laughs> but there is something, I mean, there is a, I mean, whenever you nail the way people really talk, it becomes poetry, I suppose, but... Um, I think there, actually, I saw you a couple of days ago, and I think that there is a poetry, actually, in, in what you're doing. So, yeah. you know, I, to be Thank fair you. to you and, and to, to, uh, to Stanley, I think that yeah. there is that. Well, um, not, I mean, not in the poetry, like, you know what I mean. Sure. It's a different kind of poetry sure. than Blanche's poetry. But it's and, a rough, yeah. vulgar poetry, and there's this, yeah. in that play, there's this vulgarity and this coarse, common world coming into contact with this gentility this old way, the, the old South is this sort of corrupted element of something or other. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Uh, but the, the, the old South is encountering the industrial North in a certain way right. through Stanley. And so well, that's like, there's like 50 different levels that the sure, play is working on. Sure, that's sure. one of them, certainly. Um, in terms of how I work specifically every, every night on something, it, it, it has to change, you know? I think anytime you have some kind of dogma about the way you're going to do something before you even hit the material, you're in, you're in trouble because mm -hmm. then you're mm -hmm. trying to turn the material to the, to the way you work as opposed nice. to surrendering yourself. Like we were all saying, especially in Tennessee Williams, it, it requires surrender to the material. Surrender um, to the material, yeah. So I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, I had to invent, invent a lot of new ways to work on this, you know? Even having done the play before as Mitch. Which I saw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, so, I don't know, I'm still discovering how to work on this. Like, so, I mean, you, you learn little tricks about how to keep yourself in shape or how to get through a big speech or whatever. You always have your little bag of tricks to use, but in terms of like an overall dogma flash, or something, how to, <laughs> how to work as an actor is uh, you know, an I, evolving thing for me. I have the benefit in a couple of places in the play where I am standing and listening to Blanche um, where some of the more sort of ornamental, what you, know, you might describe as sort of poetic parts of the text come out. And I have to say that the alchemy between before we began rehearsal. You've got to like, do it tonight. Don't forget. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting psyched to do it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
But, you know, uh, again, that thing, you know, the, on the page, the experience you have reading something. That's when I personally was very aware of the sort of metaphor and poetry and all of that. By the time we've gotten into, through rehearsal, into performance now, when those, when we hit those parts of the scene, I feel like somebody is talking to me, trying to get something from me, using words, the only words they can find for that moment to get what they need to get. And the experience of poetry, or the sort of being even slightly mindful of it being poetic, evaporates. It's not there at all. I, I, I feel very wary of even using the word poetry yeah. in a way. I feel it's language, you know? Sure. I think it's language and it's choice of words. And, and I, I don't think there is, I don't know, I, can't, I don't think there's a method, but I do think that it is important <laughs> to try and remember that you are talking to someone else, that you're explaining something to them, not that you're delivering um, an aria or a speech. Yeah, I think that's the most dangerous if you mm. start thinking in terms of arias. Mm. You know, mm. Then you really are sunk. Mm. I, I think, you know, what we're talking about, poetry is probably a misnomer. Mm. I think what we're talking about is the musicality of, mm. his, mm -hmm. of his language. And he writes it very specific. And if you vary from the way he's written it, you've lost it. I mean, you have to pay attention to you can't paraphrase, you can't flip words, you can't, like, ignore punctuation. I mean, it's dangerous to do <laughs> yes. that. It really is. Because he had such a sense of music. Now, it might not be, you know, I mean, Sam has a sense of music, but it's of rock and roll music. Mm -hmm. Williams has a sense of music, and it's very specific to him. And you have to honor that. I mean... I don't think you have to be conscious of this so-called poetry, but you mm -hmm. have to honor the music yeah, yeah, of yeah. his language. Yeah. But it's like Natasha said, it's very muscular. Yeah. It never lets you down. Mm. I mean, it's like, it's just right down there in the bottom of your gut. So it's, it's not a question of kind of like creating something. All you have to do is honor it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's true sometimes, I've caught myself once in a while, like a line like, uh, it's me and Stella is supposed to be the line. I flipped it, Stella and me. And, I, and I, with the same intention, the same energy, right in the same place, and I said it the other way, and I was like, why doesn't that line work anymore? <laughs> <laughs> All I did was, they're the same words. I just put them in, and they're so close to each other. Like, I know. It makes a huge difference. I mean, he was, yeah. he was a deliberate playwright. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Chris, uh, I think Chris Bauer was talking a moment ago about uh, preparation for his role and, and, you know, sort of doing character histories and that sort of thing. Did you, do you spend any time thinking about Williams' own family? I mean, his, all of his work, I think, is autobiographical. Certainly Glass Menagerie is, but so many of his plays, the autobiography seems to come up again and again. And he had that, those, those difficult family relationships with, you know, an, an interesting relationship with his mother and then the sad relationship with his sister who was, uh, you know, mentally ill and was one of the first people ever to have uh, a frontal lobotomy. Uh, do, is that relevant? Does it matter to your work? Does it inform your work? Does it influence your work? Do you think about that or, or what? I, I think that all great writers are very personal writers. It just so happens that Tennessee Williams was a man of letters and wrote, 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 so there's all this stuff out there to read. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like when I was doing True West that it was a very personal play, you know what I mean? Like, like, um, 
uh, you know, I haven't read an autobiography by Sam, but... Uh, and but you never <laughs> will. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, this guy was, this guy was talking about yeah. stuff that really meant something to him personally, you know? Yeah. The difference, there's, a, there's an intellectual quality to writing that's not personal that is immediately sure. apparent, you yeah. know? So, um, yeah, I, I've been going through this book, Tom, you know, the oh, real yeah, Tennessee Wild Williams. And <laughs> you have book. to kind of take it in doses because yeah, as much as he celebrated life and as much as he really sucked the juice out of the fruit of life, it was counterbalanced all the time with this horrible dread and, and despair, real and despair. And that loneliness that Jessica was talking yeah. about. He was yeah. a very lonely And some of those person. events of his childhood and family are just crushingly depressing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that informs it. It just makes you feel like this guy knew what he was talking about. That's, yeah. that's how it informs, yeah. you know, my Christian, understanding. Christian, have you of used any of that? Have, have you, uh, well, that, yeah, that book, uh, uh, Tom, has been very, very helpful. Um, uh, uh, my mother uh, bought me a, a, a picture and, and a letter uh, that he had written, and so I have that hanging up in my dressing room, and I kind of, yeah, and he's just got this great expression on his face in the picture, you know, he's just kind of like, yeah, it's a very casual, very relaxed, you just kind of get a sense a little bit of, of, of who the guy was and, and uh, sort of what his attitude and, and, and posture was like. And so, um, and then we all say a little prayer, <laughs> really. <laughs> the Wingfield Shuffle. Yeah, the Wingfield Family Shuffle, and then we, then we go out there and we do the show. <laughs> we get down on our hands and knees every night. And exactly. We just like, yes, yeah, we yeah. do a little. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Now, you've met, of course, you, as you said, you've met, met Tennessee Williams. And, oh, yes. Sort of. And I so don't know. Yes, I, I, I have read a, a lot about his life and his memoirs and that autobiography. And I don't know, I just think we all, you just try and look for little things. They can be a piece of music. They can hmm. be um, a pebble. Um, a photo, like Christian said, so, all, all these things that just are little talismans, that, things that aid our imagination in making it really live and, and, and constantly be alive for us. And sometimes that's plain old homework background or just like one line of a poem that somebody loves that absolutely pierces your heart. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, all of those things. Well, you know, the last four productions we've had on Broadway, uh, of Williams have all been directed by British directors. And I, I'm wondering what, why, that, why that might be. Is there a, do, do we think it's maybe... It's a conspiracy. Well, I mean, it's interesting to me that, that we're, we're not seeing, I don't, I don't know if it's because... An American directed Julius Caesar. That's a counterstrike. It's art. It's art. You look for good stuff and you try to direct it or act in it. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I found, you know, there was an article recently written about that. I found it, frankly, kind of ridiculous, you know? Like, um, I, you just look for good stuff to do and everyone wants to work on good material and Tennessee Williams is great material. Well, it's just interesting to me that, that uh, I don't know if it's because the producers are hiring those directors. I'm wondering if those directors have um, a, a more interesting cultural sensitivity oh, to no. the work. You know, I mean, I, I just I think we're in a very patriotic it's, it's, age, it's just and that's a, one of the reasons that this is even coming up, is people are so identified nationally and 
Um, personally, freedom fries. A, yeah, freedom fries <laughs> and the rest of it. Uh, personally, as an English we're living woman, in a strange yeah. time. I thought the one good, I thought the, the one good point that that they brought up in that article I re referred to was that that there is a bigger subsidized base for theater in England, yeah. and I think that's yeah, something we could really learn a lot from. You know, there's our government it ought to be giving a lot more directors. to this to this art form than they do. Mm. We ought to have a national theater. We really ought yeah. to. Yeah. I agree with John, and, and you know, I sort of feel like, okay, I'm English and I'm an American citizen, so I just, I, I just find this kind of talk just, uh, it makes me sick, because there are really good, talented directors sure. of all sorts of nationalities, and there are bad directors of all sorts of nationalities, and that's just, just how it works, and I wholeheartedly endorse that there has to be some kind of a national theatre in this country, subsidised arts, the right to fail. The right to fail does not exist in this country, and it thrives in England. And it... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, I love it there. Uh, <laughs> and it does create a, a lot more of a nurturing environment for directors to explore much, uh, a much wider variety of work do than in the commercial theatre. Do you think that there's a, a difference uh, between the way audiences over there receive the work, these works, that, as opposed to the way they're received over here by the audiences? Is there any difference between those audiences? Or is it, you know, because I, well, it was part of this thing about expectations that we were talking mm -hmm. about, you know. And, uh, and that sort of thing. What do, you, what, do you, what do you, do you think there's any difference or are the audiences, and you just came back from... Uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't doing Tennessee Williams there, but uh, I mean, I was no, doing, you were doing uh, One Flew the Cuckoo's right, Nest. Cuckoo's yeah, nest. Um, but uh, no, that was, I mean, they're, they're you know, obviously very different plays, um, but uh, the audiences were, were a blast. I mean, it was, it was, it was a party every night <laughs> uh, in the theater, you know, it was, it was, it was great. Yeah, we, just, we just had a really, really good time. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, I, I mean, there, there, there were, there were some nights of course, where, uh, well, it, it seems like whenever I was on stage doing a scene with the chief or something like a really quiet, intimate moment, one night, uh, um, these two guys started to get into an argument in, in, in the theater. That was pretty exciting. You know? I mean, like screaming, <laughs> cursing at each other in the middle of this thing. Something out of the oh, 19th un century. English. I know, I know. It was really, really kind of exciting. So, yeah, there was always... Um, they were Americans. They were probably Americans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there was always something crazy going on. But, um, but yeah, no, here uh, it's been actually pretty incredible how... I think because it is Tennessee Williams and everybody is so keen on listening to each and every word that is said... Um, uh, I mean, I literally actually tried to honor it almost embarrassingly last night. In last night's show, I, I, uh, <laughs> I just repeated the same, because a woman coughed over one of my lines, you know, and I just repeated the same line just right, right after it. It was, I think everybody probably thought I had some sort of dyslexia problem. <laughs> I just wanted everybody to hear every word. You know? It was very important to me. You know, the reason I asked the question is um, there's a, a, a British... Um, scholar named Chris Bigsby who does who's written a lot about American drama and he talks about how Arthur Miller mm. is you know overlooked in this country and has never really received the kind of critical recognition in this country that he does in England and that Arthur Miller is by the, by the English often seem to be 
an English author because he, he's mm. really been accepted over there as, mm. you know, it, that the work has been accepted. And that's, that's sort of the question I, I guess I'm, I'm driving at here. Well, is I, I think partly what we experience here in the States is that um, kind of at the, you know, at, at the, the base level is that we have a disposable society. Mm. So that the artists are disposable at a certain point. I mean, you look what you, you see what happened to Williams in his later career. Mm. I mean, he couldn't even get produced. Mm. Miller couldn't. Mm. I mean, it's 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 absolutely. I think it's shameful, the way the that this society, this country of ours, can discard things so easily. Whether it's an artist, whether it's you know whatever it is, it's a um, it. And I don't, I, I mean, I've lived in Europe a lot, and I've never, never felt that there. But there is a kind of a ruthlessness in the States that you, they, I mean, in a way, you refuse to honor somebody's extraordinary body of work. Mm -hmm. And now then you just, like in later years, dismiss them as being, you know, mm. ineffectual, um, n not important anymore. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably why in some place, you know, like in London, where you have such an extraordinary, just inborn tradition of theater, they recognize <coughs> the worth from beginning to end mm -hmm. of an artist's career mm. that we never do here. And again, I mean, I so agree with you. And again, I think it goes back to economics. I really do. Mm. All those theatres, you know, when Arthur Miller's name was mud here for the last sort of, until he had a mini revival, you know, for the last 20 years, he was constantly, his new work was being put on at yeah. the National Theatre. Right. You it's have learning. so many places in London, so many mm. theatres, where you can rediscover writers, honour, writers put on new writers and and here by and large it's about commercial success yeah. and it's as simple as that so and, and certainly it is on the on the broadway stage and well and yes but you know off broadway even subsidized sure. theater is yeah. about sure. sponsorship is about subscription it yeah. is not the same as um real subsidized theater that says okay here's your mandate go out, do classics, go do new plays, and we're not holding you accountable for box office receipts. Well, I want to bring something else in here that's slightly off Tennessee Williams. You had a remarkable success as Mary Tyrone in mm -hmm. uh, Long Day's Journey Into Night. And I, I want to stay on this track for just another moment, and then I promise I'll change tracks. <laughs> but, but, but this idea of um, you know, American dramatists in, in Britain and that sort of thing. And you were also talking earlier about you have to give in to the freight train yeah. of, <laughs> of Tennessee Williams. Did you have that kind of experience when you were um, doing Mary Tyrone and Long Day's Journey and Tonight? Well, I'll tell you, Mary Tyrone, I mean, I mean, as much as I love Williams and I do love Blanche and Amanda as much as anything I've done, when I did Mary Tyrone, it was like something just blew wide open. I've never, I've never done a play like that and never done a character like that. I mean, there was something, and I also think it was, you know, it's that, it's that extraordinary moment when, you know, there's really no mystery to it, you know, creating a performance. It, it's like the actor and the person that that actor is meets the character at a particular moment in time in your life 
and it call coalesces and it like something happens you know it moves you forward as a human being mm -hmm. it like opens the character mm. so you know that's what I felt about Mary Tyrone at mm. that moment that there was something something happened for me um, and uh, what was your question? Well, the question was, the question, actually, that was, that was a wonderful answer. Uh, but that, what I'm wondering is, is it that same kind of freight train experience where, you know, Williams, you get on that, you, you go with yeah, the train or you get run over? See, I think now, and I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people will um, disagree with me. I think, to my taste, Long Day's Journey is really the greatest play O'Neill wrote. I, I don't think anything oh, I don't think else. Anyone would disagree with anything you there. else came up to what he wrote yeah. there. Um, now Williams, you've got a bigger palette. You've got streetcar. You've got glass menagerie. You've got you know, sweet bird of youth. Cat on a hot tin roof. Sure. roof. You've got summer and smoke. So he's kind of. But for me, the real O'Neill is Long Day's Journey, and oh. everything else seems kind of. I don't know. I I don't like these other plays to tell you yeah. the truth. So. Um, but that play, that play is something, and I, and it's because he's writing about something. He's writing about family. As long as you're writing about family, it's like, I mean, somehow it, it, it's alchemy, isn't it? Yeah, well, and that's what we're seeing, or what we're really talking about here is family. We're talking about the brutality of family, the, the tenderness that comes in family. The, and and the, the poetic or musical moments mm -hmm. that, we, we, that we find. It, it seems to me that these two plays are almost <coughs> feverish dreams in a certain way, certainly for the narrator character for Tom Wingfield. But even in, um, in Streetcar Named Desire, when the, the Warsaw Tango comes in from moment to moment, it's almost, someone was talking about this being reality and realism earlier, it also seems to me to be the inner consciousness of a character or characters that plays out on stage, that's laid out on stage as opposed to being, uh, you know, these realistic moment to moment. Do you, do, do you follow what I'm saying here? What do you, how do you think I got caught up on the Warsaw Tango. Isn't it the Varsoviana Polka? It's actually, okay. it's, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you're right, you're I'm right. Like Varsoviana Warsaw is, Tango. How would you do the Warsaw Tango? <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, uh, it's sorry, Varsoviana. Sorry. No, it's Warsaw, Varsoviana is the same, but I got it. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I think oh, yeah. see, so yeah. what I know. It's okay. But, <laughs> but what, I'm, what I'm wondering is, where do we, you know, how does this, how does this idea about the moment-to-moment -moment reality and this, expressiveness of sort of, I mean, it seems like you're just leaving it all out there on the stage. You're exposing so much of the inner life of the character in a way that seems different sometimes for me. Seems different from realism itself, from what we would call realism. Am I well, that's the, great, that's the great thing about, I mean, sometimes we'd run into things as we're rehearsing Streetcar and I'd say like, well, this doesn't make any, how are we going to do that? This doesn't make any sense right here. And we'd be like, ah. Poetic moment, poetic moment. <laughs> or like, he, he, uh, I think he was, he, he didn't write kitchen sink dramas, you know what I mean? He wrote plays that were very based <coughs> in the human, in human reality, but they had a sense of impressionistic theatricality about them too, especially Glass Menagerie, you know? I mean, and explicitly so. So that's the kind of great freeing thing. I mean, as you travel through the play, it's, I mean, in my experience in streetcar, anyway, is that you start out. It starts it starts out feeling very realistic and what you know, moment to moment, kind of, 
you know, real moments, day-to-day, everyday kind of moments. And then as the play starts to churn on and on, you know, these oral soundscapes starts coming in and, you know, you get deeper into Blanche's mind and yeah. all of a sudden you're in a painting or something. It's bigger than just a, uh, this is how human beings behave kind of thing. Right. It, it becomes larger. You know? And, you know, it's interesting because Williams, if you watch him, there's always a moment where a storm starts. Ooh. Mm -hmm. uh, in almost every play, you know? I mean, it's like in Cat in the Hot Tin Roof, right before, you know, Big Daddy's told that he's going to die. The, the servant's going through the house yelling, storm coming, storm mm. coming. And, I mean, in our Ours, play, yeah, yeah. you know, the rain starts sure. right when the gentleman caller appears in that scene and in Streetcar. There's yeah. always, I mean, he always uses that that motif, that sound of, of storms coming, winds blowing, thunder. like the rain, the thunder. Yeah. The, so, I mean, yeah, he, he, but those, I mean, what's great is that he lays those things on, but you're not playing those things, right. sure. you know? It's just kind of illuminating. Accentuating. Yeah. It. Yes, absolutely. So it gives you a, f a feeling of freedom, too. Like, I'm not just bound by earthly rules. Like, there's something bigger happening here, you know, and there's something crazier than what happens every day in my life happens. That's okay, because we're in his, his, you know, his world. Now, when I asked that question a moment ago, you looked a little bit puzzled by what I was saying. Do, do you, it, it seems to me that there's a, a shift in consciousness that Blanche undergoes as, as, the, as the play develops. Do I don't think I look puzzled. Did I look No, I thought, thought maybe you did, so I, I wondered if I... Am I, am I completely oh, off base here in terms of that? Puzzling it out. No, I am puzzled. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, what I was thinking, I was just thinking about the, the difference between um, truth, truth and um, behaviorism, mm -hmm. really. And uh, he is, goes main line right. into truth and it's not about sort of real behavior. Truth in the pleasant yeah. disguise of illusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh... Can't so say it any better than he can. Yes. I mean, yeah, yeah. He said it perfectly, you know, it's, it's really amazing. He wrote it perfectly. Well, what, uh, when, you, when you're working on, on a play like this, I mean, it's got to be a, a little bit daunting. Uh, when, when you uh, come to a play like the, these plays, it, wh what makes you most anxious? What makes you most anxious about that process when you're, when you're coming into it, other than coming in 10 days before you have to open or whatever it was? <laughs> is, there, is, there some, is there something that... Well, talking about it in, in, in an intellectual way and analyzing it makes me anxious when I have to do it in Well, I don't want you to do that. I don't want to make you anxious about that. But, I, but I'm wondering if there's, you know, if you could talk a little bit about, in, you know, approaching these plays and how you've thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what we've all been saying, just the honoring yeah. of yeah. Tennessee Williams, that, that, was, that was the main thing for me. I mean, even though I had the short time to prepare uh, the, the, the play, once I read it and, and, and fell in love with it, uh, I, I fell in love at that moment with Tennessee Williams and wanted to make sure that, I wouldn't go on stage and, and insult that, you know, that playwright or, or harm the play in any way. So that was it. It was just all about honoring the material. And that, that's pretty much what I think about every night, you know, honoring the material. And, you know, it is a memory play and it's all 
you know, just, just all sort of ethereally coming back to me, you know? See, now, I had an interesting experience when I started, because I had never thought about doing Amanda, really. I mean, I had always, all my life, wanted to play Blanche. I'd always wanted to play Mary Tyrone. <clears throat> Amanda kind of was presented to me, and I had to decide whether or not I wanted to do it. And I, I put it off for a while, for a couple years, actually, and then I looked at the play, and I read this character, and I, I mean, I was so struck by her, and I, and I felt that everything he said about her was true. <clears throat> and then when I did my research on Edwina Dakin, mm. Mm. it kind of reaffirmed, like, all those first impressions I had about Amanda. You know, the idea that when she says she had 17 gentlemen callers, that was not a fabrication. She really did have, and she did understand the art of conversation. Oh, yeah. And she did have manners, and mm -hmm. she was well-bred, and she was elegant, and she was beautiful, and she was all those things. <clears throat> so that was kind of like how I began to see in my mind's eye the portrait of this woman. And then you start reading this kind of... Ugh, theatrical criticism, and you see terms like faded, you know, a faded remnant of, a remnant of Southern gentility, and I thought, no, that's wrong. <laughs> She's not. She's a force of nature. Yeah, yeah. She Dynamic, is like, yeah. man. Passionate yeah. all that. Sure. So, you know, you have, to, you have to guard against, I think, in your, I mean, I have always found, and I'm sure, you know, everybody works differently, <clears throat> but that first, that that first jolt of lightning you get when you read it mm -hmm. is the truest. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And yeah. all the other Sounds stuff that you, said. you know, the other performances, the, the things you hear, criticism, the other interpretations. The, yeah, I mean, that's all comes down to bullshit, really, because yeah. Yeah. What, what it is, is it, you know, you connect with some life force there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what you, that's what you have to commit to. Yeah. Well, Richard, the, pl the playwright Richard Greenberg once said to me that he never, ever reads any critical anything, any, any of the critics or anything like that. And, and I understood exactly what he was talking about because there is this uh, investment that you have when you're doing this kind of work and it seems to me that uh, that can only get in the way of it. I mean, here we, we've been talking about into, uh, sort of intellectualizing a little bit about Williams here and there, and, and I've made John a little bit anxious about because he's got to go do this in a few hours. You know, you know what makes me anxious every day is, is preparing to do the ritual of theater. There's a, sure. there's a short window of every day when you're doing a play where you don't remember that you have to do it, and you're just having breakfast, and then there's always this cool little moment that happens where you're like, this is great soup. I have to do the play. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden your hands start shaking. And uh, yeah. You can't, can't enjoy the soup anymore. <laughs> and, and, and that anxiety, your head is telling you, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Uh, yeah. And your body's walking towards the theater. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. And it's this great kind of sick uh, well. ritual that we go through every night. It is. And, it's, and the anxiety comes from, Am I up to honoring that ritual tonight? Right. Am yeah. I really going to yeah. sacrifice the calf and yeah. cover myself in blood and <laughs> weep and 
get them to weep and <laughs> am I going to throw myself into it tonight? Am I up to the holy task of theater? And the, you know, that's, that's like a day-to-day -day anxiety mm. doing plays. And that's so. why we all have to like have an unwind and go out afterwards and have a few yeah. drinks because it's, it's the only two hours of the day that yeah. you are released yeah. from this sure. thing um, <laughs> for, for months. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Actually, what I was saying means nothing because that was exactly, that was sort of where, where I'm headed here is, is also I want all of you are well known for your work on the big screen and the little screen and what I want to know is how does the how does the process of your preparation we'll just set aside Tennessee for a moment or two but how does the, how does the process of preparation for the stage differ for you from when you're working on the set I mean what's that what's the, your 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 day-to-day -day life or what is your what is your preparation when you're doing the work itself? You haven't said anything in a long time. God, man. There you yeah. go. I'm the new guy. Oh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it is so conditional to material to me in terms of preparation. And whether it's on camera or whether it's on stage, you know, this theme of honor. It's so rare when something leaps off the page that asks that of you, that has enough generosity there that you're you know, it demands that you reciprocate mm -hmm. with that much generosity. That's what's really rare. Whenever that's the case, then you get this syndrome, you know, where it's 24-7. It's a devotion, and it asks that of you. So much stuff that I personally have done, you know, out of the theater and on camera has been, uh, asks a different part of you, which is to sort of, which in my opinion is, you know, the, the source of many, many bad habits, where, it, it asks for justification. It asks you to justify it existing, to behave your way around it, to make it interesting or make it moving, to give it content when there is none. Yes. And that asks a part of yourself... <laughs> you say on the camera, you mean. Yeah. yeah. But that asks a part of yourself that is in real opposition to the, to the part of yourself in this case, where it's your sacred self, your true self, your, you know, the source of honor and the source of of worship. So it, to me, it, 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 you know, it, it becomes about uh, you know, keeping those two places securely separate. Because I don't want to, as much as I want to tell the truth every time I work, regardless of how crass or sublime it is, um, I don't want them to intermix. I want that place of, of worship to be sort of preserved, not just for the skill, but something bigger, you know. I also think what Gary's talking about, you know, I mean, because <clears throat> as an actor, yes. I mean, sorry, it, we're all like, you know, we're all kind of working in, in different mediums and, you know, sometimes you're doing things that, you know, you have to like really, um, you have to work really hard to give meaning to. <coughs> so I think, you know, when you're doing something like Streetcar or Glass Menagerie, it's such a blessing as an actor mm -hmm. that you have been given this extraordinary mm. uh, opportunity to go through this. You know, it's yeah. rare. It's really yeah. rare as an actor. Miracle. You know, you're not trying to, like, you know, do a shot getting out of a car <laughs> for six hours, you know? And, like, it, I mean, it's, like, so... It's just thrilling. Is it because of the process of, of the, the, that thing, part of what the thing that uh, John was talking about, but it, is it also that process of every night, 8 o'clock comes, and it's time to start, and we undergo that process? 
starts long before then. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> no, but I when you hit that mark, when you hit, when you have to hit the mark at eight o'clock, and you know, you come well, out. there's something really uh, discombobulating about working on movies that, you know, you you can get on a roll with something like, oh, we're doing this big scene today. It's going to take three days to do it. And mm. at a certain point, it starts to become kind of repetitive. Like, okay, I feel like I already gave my best to this already. We've got to mm. <laughs> kind of do that over again from a different angle. And then, and then, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? You have tomorrow off. Oh, well, shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was just getting going, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. So it's, it takes, yeah. in some ways, it takes uh, a different kind of discipline yeah. to keep yourself ready like like a ball player would in a baseball game you know these long periods of tedium where you're standing there and then you have to run as fast as you can and catch that ball you know mm -hmm. like, it's a much different discipline and I, I i personally try to go back to the theater as as much as i can you know as unprofitable as it is uh and this is not for profit what we're doing <laughs> what we're doing it's roundabout but um i try to go back as much as i can because it's really like it's like the Olympics for an actor, you know? It's like, it's, it's real, it requires everything that you've got, yep. and then some, you know? Mm -hmm. You have to magically find something else every night that yeah. you're not even sure that you have. Right. And uh, it's a schedule that's really, really suited cool. to me, you know? Especially, <laughs> especially now that I have children, you know? It's oh, a yeah. chance to see the kids every yeah. day and not be gone for 12 hours every day like it requires on a movie. Well, it's so funny you say that because it's absolutely the opposite for me. It depends yeah, me what age too. your children are. Ah, yeah. As, well, I, yeah, I'm I'm as long as they're not in school, it's fine. It's a killer uh, for me. Yeah. It means that for these months <coughs> I don't get to see my children hardly and yeah. uh, at all because um, I can't get up with them in the morning schedules. and I can't put them to bed at night and they're in school during the day, mm. which is my time. And I think it is, it's, it's, the, it's, it's what you were saying, it is like the... Olympics, it's a marathon doing plays like this, and you have to be really rigorous and disciplined, as Sarah Bernhardt would say, and you had to, you physically, emotionally, mentally, um, but also, you know, we're artists and we've got to have fun too, work mm. hard, play hard, you know? Don't <laughs> think otherwise, how do we deal with it? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot. What keeps you coming back to the theater, Christian? Um, well, I, 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 first of all, of course, I, I love it. Uh, my father was an actor, and I remember uh, uh, he was doing, he was an understudy in Sherlock Holmes, and this was when I was about five, and I just remember he would go to the theater, have to leave at, you know, seven, and just clinging to his leg, you know, uh, you know begging to go. I don't know if I really wanted to necessarily be with him or be <laughs> backstage. You know, I just, I love the atmosphere, uh, of, I mean, of course, I love my father, but the atmosphere of, 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 of just being backstage and uh, I, I just felt connected to it and, and uh, I, I really related to it. And there, were, there was a moment actually in that show where, where I, had, I sort of became a part of the group. There, there, there was supposed to be some sort of car accident that happens off stage. And so I got to be part of the general murmur backstage <laughs> 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 at five. So that was just like a real, yeah, I just, I loved it. I loved the dressing rooms. I loved the, the lights and, and, you know, around the mirrors. And, and uh, <laughs> it's just, it's a, it's a great atmosphere. And the energy of it is, is, is thrilling. I, I what, what, do you, what do you, I'm sorry, you know, John, go ahead. I think f to me that's essential to say about this, because a lot of younger actors, and I assume some of those will be watching this program, make a big uh, case about, well, theater and film are so different. They're so different. That's a whole different thing. You can't be big and you can't be. And, you know, I've, I personally think that that's not true. 
I think that there are certain technical skills that you need to pick up when doing films, but essentially, for me anyway, it's the same thing. You're crossing into that looking glass and, you know, going to that, to that imaginary place and you're just, you know, like any good actor uh, regulates his performance based on the size of the house, you know, and then yeah. we're doing Ooh. a movie, there's, there are, there's an audience there. Yeah, there's not many of them, yeah. but they're there. They're not supposed to look at you or whatever, but, <laughs> but they're there and they're listening and they're paying attention, you know, and so um, it, it's just a matter of size and scale. They're and paying attention depending on what you're working on yeah, as well. I mean, that's, that's I don't think, I don't material. Think, yeah, film should be any more real than theater, or theater should be any more big than no, film. Sure, sure. It should just be true. All of it should yeah. be true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And based on the size of the audience that you're doing it for. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. That's Well, I wanted to ask you also, and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about asking this now because I have this question on here. It says, how do you keep it fresh? And I know from... I, I, so a, it was such a beautiful moment to end on. Just yes. end on truth. Yes. <laughs> it was perfect. I know. It was great. It's truth. Oh. We have, we, we've, we've talked about truth. We've talked about honor. We've talked about musicality. We've talked about poetry. Uh, what I want to say to you all is uh, we're coming near the end here. Mm. And uh, I want to thank you all. I want to let you know that I'm going to borrow from the poet again and, and, uh, and say that I've always depended on the virtuosity of actors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I want to thank you all for joining us today uh, here as we have talked about interpreting Tennessee Williams. And I hope the audience will help me thank you for joining us today. Mm.